As we begin today, uh, let us join together in prayer. Teach us to walk in your way, to walk in your light, and to walk in your love. And may this time together in your presence be one of receiving your word and giving our hearts to you out of obedience, out of devotion, and of course always in service. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in the one body. The peace of Christ be with you. Our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted the people and will have compassion on those who suffer. Hope in the Lord this day and forever. Come, let us worship the Lord. Please join me in your bulletin for the prayer of confession. Together let us pray. O God of tender mercies, we do not learn. We spend our days consumed with worry and forget to sing your praise. Teach us once more that all of life is in your care. Forgive our failure to trust in you and free us to love and serve all those whom you love. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. All the prophets testify about Christ that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Therefore, in Christ we stand forgiven. Thanks be to God. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so, let us live. As we come to the reading of God's word, let us pray. Lift up your hearts. Open your word to our hearts and show us the glory of the riches of Christ's love for us and through us to your world. In the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The word of the Lord from Psalm 131. Rest and relax in the Lord. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weakened child that is with me. O Israel. Hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson comes to us according to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. In this passage, Jesus 
implores us to trust God over the concerns of life. Hear now the word of God. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On Sunday mornings, as I drive down from Pennsylvania, I like to listen to the preaching of Ravi Zacharias. And he shared a story today that I thought was extremely pertinent to where we're going. He wrote a book many years ago about the reasons why people give up on Christianity. And he shared that the most powerful conversations that he has had over the years about this this issue is people saying that they took their problems or their, their issues or their concerns or their worries to God in prayer and did not see their prayers answered. And when that happened, it became disillusioning and they simply decided it didn't work. And they left the faith. The text that we saw or heard today from Matthew chapter 6, I think, is a pertinent text to us as moderns and postmoderns as well. Because it basically deals with the whole issue of what is the focus of our relationship with God. When I am a child, I look to my father and my mother for the sustenance. I don't necessarily ask for it, no infant asks for the food, or no small child gets concerned about where their clothing will show up. The parents care for the child. As the child becomes a teenager and a young adult, more and more the issues become what they need or what they think they need in order to survive the culture in which they have to live. And we become adults and see that somehow or other we need God to help us to solve our problems, to fix our situations, to provide our wants and our needs. 
But Jesus is being very, very precise in the text today in Matthew, saying that all of those concerns, whether I have the clothes to be popular in, or whether I have the food to impress people with, or a house, whether I have a job to impress people or to make my mark in the world or whatever, is all secondary to one primary concern. Do I have in my heart and in my mind and in my will a desire to see the kingdom of God come about in this world? Is that my primary concern? Jesus speaks of this, and I think that it it becomes for us a key way for us to understand who this Jesus really is. In the New Testament, you have two different portraits of Jesus. For those who do not take the post-gospel scriptures very seriously, the pre-Easter Jesus is the human Jesus. It is in this Jesus that we see anger portrayed, that we see pity portrayed, that we see um, justice exercised. It is this Jesus that is functioning in his own society, in his own time, as Jewish mystic, as a wisdom teacher, even as a prophet. He is initiating a movement, and one of the things he does to claim his role as initiator is to become the healer and the miracle worker. That pre-Easter Jesus is the Jesus that the world knows historically. As a matter of fact, during the 1980s and early 1990s, there was an entire school of scholars who were studying and had as their primary focus spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in the process of discovering the historical Jesus. And they basically boiled down the whole New Testament to about a one-page paper of of statements about this historical Jesus. It is this human Jesus that we as evangelical Christians don't take seriously enough. Because our focus as evangelical Christians, of course, is the post-Easter Jesus. We want to be able to say that Jesus is the Redeemer, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Son of the living God. We use titles like Jesus is the Lamb of God, or the Wisdom of God, or the Word of God. And all of those perspectives on Jesus, while all representing biblical and true statements about Jesus, does not help those who do not have the Spirit of God to understand the gospel, or to understand the life of the Christian community. You see, one of the things that we as Christians need to be aware of, and what is now becoming the focus of postmodern Christianity, is we need to remember 
that while we see Jesus after the cross, it was the work of Jesus and the witness of Jesus before the cross that gave to his disciples and to his followers a special way of understanding what happened on that cross. Those who had no history with Jesus saw the cross of Christ as simply another escapade in the Roman conquering of Jewish culture. It was revenge. It was Jewish justice. It was Roman justice. It was politics like normal. It was the believers in Christ, those who were his followers and disciples, that began to put two and two together to come up with the four. They began to put together this man that lived with them, ate with them, offended them, taught them, led them, instructed them, challenged them. And that person now is elevated to a place of honor, of worship. The cross of Christ represents to us as believers the place where our souls are redeemed. But that work on the cross is not restricted to the salvation of human souls. The cross of Jesus Christ is a pivotal turning point in the entire universe. The entire universe is turned upside down in this event. One of my favorite scenes in the Chronicles of Narnia is when Aslan, the lion, representing, of course, the Christ figure, is killed by the wicked witch on the table And when everyone leaves thinking that the Aslan, the the lion, has been completely defeated, it is in the breaking of the stone table and the rising of Aslan from that table in which he says the witch did not know about the deeper magic. That line is a transformative line. Because in that, in that, that event, in those words... C.S. Lewis is trying to help us to understand that the cross of Christ is not just about saving souls. It is about the redeeming of the entire universe. It is about the change and the revolution and the entire transformative process of making this world what it was intended to be before we fell. This Jesus, who is preaching in Galilee, who is talking to us about focusing on the kingdom of God, is asking us to get beyond the personal stuff. Get beyond saving my soul and getting into heaven. Yes, of course, every human being's soul deserves and should be redeemed. And that experience is crucial to us as evangelical Christians. But it is not the only focus of the cross. It is not the only way for us to come into the mystery of this work of God on the cross. God is in the process of redeeming the entire creation. Groaning for redemption. 
The Spirit of God is at work to bring all of human society, all of human existence, all of time and space under the sovereignty of this one who has been lifted up like the snake in the wilderness. Exalted. To bring healing to the entire universe. In understanding who Jesus is, I believe that the most appropriate sentence I've ever heard came from the the mouth of a modern theologian when he said that Jesus is the revelation of God, the revelation of the heart of God. When you ask yourself, what is this kingdom that Jesus is talking about? What is this kingdom that somehow or other I'm supposed to seek and I'm supposed to serve? That kingdom, you see, is the very heart of God. When you look at the world, do you see it with the love that God sees it with? Do you look at the world with a sense of wisdom and justice and righteousness that God looks at it? Are you being being able to every moment, every day, be in a place where you can say that this creation, even broken as it is, in Christ is good? In one single sentence, we as Christians say, Jesus is for us as Christians the decisive revelation of what a life full of God looks like. Radically centered in God and filled with the Spirit of God, he is the decisive disclosure and the epiphany of what can be seen of God embodied in a human life. As the Word and wisdom and Spirit of God become flesh, his life incarnates the character of God. Indeed, the passion of God, the compassion of God. In him, in Christ, we see God in all of God's glory. I have always been, in my theological education, reformed. And I began my reform track in the Presbyterian tradition, in which the pilgrims play a great, and Puritans play a great and high uh, position in our theological heritage. And I believe with all of my heart that the Puritans receive a very bad rap from modern Christians. Because whenever I say puritanical, what pops into your mind? Stern. Yeah. Kind of always upright and always serious and always boring as all get out. And yet, one of the blessings that I have recently encountered is reading the personal diary or personal prayer journal, if you will, of John Winthrop, one of the founders of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, in which he talks about his relationship to God as though he were describing his latest mistress's encounter. He talks about God as the passion of the fire that burns in his belly. 
He talks about God in terms of a lover who is able to carry him to heights he cannot even imagine. His language is straight out of the Song of Solomon. And he's writing this to another believer, another Christian gentleman, as a way of saying, this is the God I serve. This is the God I love. And when you read it, if you didn't understand who was writing it, you would definitely think he's writing about some other lady he's not married to. And yet he's not. He concludes his remarks with something that just really, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around. He said, I love my wife, but I adore my Savior. The primacy of that relationship, the primacy of that person in our lives, you see, is the basis of getting everything else in order. It's the way all the rest of the house comes together. When people share with me that because of what they suffered or because of their lack of answer to prayer or whatever, they can't trust in God. It is sad because we have made so little of this understanding of kingdom. We have not understood the implications of what it means to be in and with, surrounded by, cared for, absorbed into the very heart of God. And you say, well, how do I do that? It's very easy. Repent and believe. That's all. That's the entrance. And that entrance is to a mystery so deep, so real, and so dynamic, your life will not ever be the same again. It cannot be. What's very interesting, and I conclude with these words of Jesus, he's teaching in the pre-Easter narrative of Mark chapter 10, and someone calls him good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Now, if Jesus is the divine son of God, why should he have a problem hearing that? But he says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You see, in the very greatness of who this Redeemer Savior is, this Christ who we worship and adore is always pointing us to the greater, always directing us to the heart of God. To be a follower of Jesus Christ in the postmodern world is to be a lover of God. I chose this series to get to this point in the month of February because it's the lover's month. I bought tulips for my wife and my mother. I don't know what you got your wife or your mother or your friend, but I bought flowers and they had to be live flowers because the women in my family have no taste whatsoever for cut flowers. But I will tell you this, those tokens of my love 
are simply that. They're tokens. My devotion to the people that I love is in what I do for them and with them. The life energy I give away to support them and care for them, provide for them. If God is not answering our prayers, if God is somehow distant from us, as the saying goes, guess who has moved? If we are not at the point of being in love with the man who has redeemed us, if the person who has given us all that we need and could ever imagine, guess who has not understood clearly enough? Guess who has not listened long enough? Guess who needs to fall in love again with the Son of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ? Let us pray. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, O Lord. May we enjoy the rapturous joy of knowing you and loving you and serving you even in this world, in time and space, in our context. Enable this through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. May the magnificent obsession of knowing and loving the Christ keep our hearts and minds completely focused on being your people, O God, heeding your will and doing your work till Jesus returns for us all. Amen. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thank you for who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, O Lord. Use our gifts and our lives presented to you at this time in this worship to the glory of him who is our Savior. Amen. Let us go from here being loved by him who is our Savior and loving those who we are called to serve. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with us now until Christ returns in glory and then forever. And all God's people said. <laughs>